Labor Unrest Edition? I, I don't know that I ever expected to say that about college sports, but I guess given the way things have gone the last few years, maybe maybe I did. We have a group of players in the Pac-12 that have said they intend to opt out of the season unless some of their demands are met. They have released a, a very long list of demands, some of which are pretty easy to do and can be done today, and some of which are probably never going to happen. But it's a really interesting conversation that these guys I think are going to wind up having with the people in charge at the Pac-12 and the, their athletic directors and their coaches. And it's probably something that needs to be had because let's be honest, if the people who run college football really need college football played because they need the money that's going to come from a college football season, they're going to need these players to, to help them with that. And so it, it would Makes sense to listen to them. But to talk about it, let's bring on Chris Kamrani. He covers Utah for us. And Chris, pretty long list of Utes who either you know, p- attach their name to this, this document that went out this morning or have tweeted their support of it. Yeah, it's been interesting to say the least. I think uh, what we're going to see over the next 24 hours is this list expand pretty uh, extensively. It's grown to be pretty comprehensive as well. Andy, I mean, you look at across all 12 programs in the Pac-12, you're starting to see um, heavy hitters, so to speak, from various nickname programs come out and say that they are in support or they're, you know, in lockstep with, with what this uh, request of demands um, kind of presents to the Pac-12 powers that be. It's, uh, it's interesting, too, because I think a lot of players – based on some of the reporting that me and some of the colleagues at The Athletic have done, is not a lot of players knew about this, at least to the level of how deep and how extensive the list of demands were. But once they kind of caught wind of it in the last, like, 48 to 72 hours, they seem to be pretty much on board. Now, there is a little bit of uh, not shakiness necessarily, but I think there, there are some players who have voiced uh, you know, a significant amount of support, but I think we're also going to see players who support this initiative, but also are planning on showing up to, uh, you know, the mandatory 20-hour week starting tomorrow. So while I think that some of the wording is pretty heavy-handed, I'm interested to see how many players who kind of stand behind this thing actually, um, you know, follow the lead of, of sitting out if some of these uh, demands aren't met. Yeah, and and that is their choice. I mean, they they can decide whether they want to play or not. I think if you if you want to really want to use the leverage that you have, it's to not play in games because that's what the the schools will get TV money for and that's the part that I think would make a huge difference in terms of leverage and I think we we've seen how much the players leverage has increased over the last couple of years. Listen, th- these schools are counting on millions of dollars in television money. But to do that, you have to put on the TV show. Now, they might not be able to put on the TV shows anyway because of COVID-19. They might not be able to safely have a season. That's that's something they've got to figure out. 
But if they can, you know, they're going to try because obviously there are some pretty dire financial consequences for these athletic departments if they don't. And I think the players understand that. So I'm with you. I I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many players really do say, okay, I will sit this out or just, I support you, but I'm going to go ahead and play. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because if you look at kind of the breakdown as you, you know, did in your column, some of the demands are, are things that should have been in place years ago. I mean, some of these things, it's kind of ridiculous that they're not already done. But then you look at some of the other asks of like 50% um, revenue sharing across all sports. I think that's kind of a large ask, um, among other things. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this whole thing plays out over the next coming days. Well, and, and that's the thing. That let's let's talk about those demands because I, I have a column on The Athletic where I went through each of them and, and we discussed whether they're realistic or not. And, and you mentioned probably the most unrealistic, which is 50% revenue sharing, which, listen, if you're a football player in college and you want 50% revenue sharing, you know, I, I'm with you. I understand you, you may help make that money. That's a lot of money. But you also can't then turn around and say, we want you to save all the other sports because that's not how funding works in college athletics. Football pays for all those other sports. So they, as the players, need to figure out, hey, do we want 50% of the revenue here or do we want the other sports to be saved because you can't have both? And that's something that, that they've got to figure out in terms of a negotiating tactic. But that one was a pretty pie-in-the-sky Demand. Let's talk about some of the simpler stuff, like the the COVID nineteen uh, testing standards, protocols, that sort of thing. They would just like to be at the table and talk about those. Yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they they mentioned a potential third party being involved with the, with the mandatory testing. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a, a huge ask. We've We've looked at, you know, third-party folks involved in sports over the last few years with the increased attention to concussions in football. Um, so I think that's, that's, a, that's a decent, uh, not that far-fetched of an ask. Um, but again, it's, it's going to be interesting because, like, we, we talk about the health component. We've seen a lot of these uh, programs tweet out these new helmets, Andy, with these, like, face shields that go all the way down to their chin. And I think I saw a tweet with with an LSU linebacker or something that he tried to wear one and breathe in, and it was already all fogged up. So I, I know we're like putting the the cart ahead of the horse a little bit, but like, how do we how do we how do we make sure that these student athletes are always healthy going into the season? I don't think we can, and I, I think that that's that's something that sucks. And I think they're starting to understand that. And to your point earlier about. The, the amount of money that is involved in a college football season. Like college football is the golden goose of any athletic department. So if there is no season, then every athletic department in the country is going to have to deal with a, a reckoning that they've never had to deal with before. Yeah, it, it is going to be very interesting. And, and as far as the third parties go with the COVID testing, there already are third parties involved at a lot of schools. There's a lot of public, you know, state health departments that are involved with you know, getting the results of these tests and implementing certain measures. So it's not, it's not that it's not already happening. I I think the players really just want a voice in it. And I I get that. I I understand that, you know, them asking Larry Scott, the commissioner of the PAC 12 and 
all the coaches and ADs to take significant pay cuts voluntarily, I don't think they're going to get that. I don't think that's going to work out too well for them because my thing is you can do things as players within your demands that change the flow of the money more toward the players. And if you do that, the salaries will adjust accordingly. The market will adjust the salaries. Now, I, I would argue that there's a lot of Pac-12 ADs that would like to see Larry Scott's salary reduced as well, but <laughs> I just don't know that's going to happen. And one of the things they said, you know, the players suggested is Stanford dropped a bunch of sports not long ago. They said, well, tap into your, your $27 billion endowment and, you know, just use that. Well, it doesn't quite work that way with endowments. Endowments are earmarked by the person who gave the money or the organization that gave the money. I mean, Stanford, I believe David Shaw is called the Bradford M. Freeman Director of Football, which means Bradford M. Freeman donated some money or someone donated it in his name to fund the position of head football coach at Stanford. That's what that money's for. So if you want to bring back sailing at Stanford, you probably got to donate some money to endow it. So if you can convince Larry Scott to donate part of his salary to endow a sailing team at Stanford... I think you've killed two birds with one stone. Yeah, weirdly, I think um, I know Larry Scott is an easy target these days, but um, I mean, I could see there being enough pressure on him that maybe he relinquishes a little bit to to maybe you know prove some extend extend an olive branch, so to speak. But to your point about you're you're not going to do that much uh, damage, I think, when you're trying to minimize the annual salaries of the coaches that you've come to play for at the moment. Now that, that this can be affected five to 10 years down the road, depending on how much leeway this movement gets and, and, and how much impact um, these players make. But again, it's, I think there are, there are some, some tie in the sky asks, and I don't think it's necessarily bad to shoot for the moon. I mean, it, these are negotiation tactics. I mean, this is, you, oh, you yeah. Ain't, yeah, you we, we've all done it. We've, yeah. we've all said, Hey, I won't take this job for any less than X. Right. And then they laugh at you and, and then right. they say, no, it pays this. And you say, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's something that most people are, are used to. I think, um, this is something that's been a long time coming to be honest with you. And, I, I think there is a sense of pride within the Pac-12 conference of this being the, the first conference to, to kind of band together, so to speak, and, and push these sort of objectives and initiatives. Um, because we know, you know, in, in, the, in the landscape of, of college football, you know, the, the West Coast is known for being, uh, you know, a more uh, left-leaning side of the country, and, and they, they want to be more on the forefront of, of those, those types of negotiations and, and discussions. So I think that's it's also part of this component as well is that you have a, 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 a conference in the Pac-12 that's always tried to kind of market itself as, you know, the quote-unquote conference of champions. Now I don't, I don't think Larry Scott meant it this way when he hired that advertising firm. But, but it worked. It's called, but, I think, is that a double entendre? I don't know. I've been out of college for too long. Guys, we got to talk about barbecue right now. And, and if you love barbecue like you know I do – you know it takes a lot of time. You're working. You're maybe taking care of the kids while you work from home right now. It's tough. You don't have time to smoke something for 16 hours. Well, let me tell you a little bit about chicken ribs because you can get that same smoke flavor and a lot fewer calories, a lot less fat, and it's delicious, and the kids are going to love it too. 
So chickenribs.com sounds weird. Chicken ribs, it's chicken thighs covered in pork rub, smoked, and they taste and eat like a rib. It's a huge hunk of meat on a small bone, tastes very much like a pork rib, but a quarter of the fat, a lot less calories. Oh, by the way, really, really easy to get going because listen, we, we don't have time to smoke stuff, but if you go to chickenribs.com, they will send you your chicken ribs. You thaw them out. When you're ready, you put them in your air fryer, you warm them up on the grill, you warm them up in the oven, and they taste like they came right from the smokehouse. I got a 10-year-old who doesn't eat anything. He ate a chicken rib and said, this is better than real ribs. I'm telling you, you can satisfy some pretty picky eaters with these things. We know great barbecue tastes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy, fully cooked from the smokehouse. Authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com. Use the code Andy today to get $10 off plus free two-day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat? Watching games now that they're back on TV? Or maybe you're just making dinner for the family. Chickenribs.com. Use the code Andy for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. So there are a couple of demands I think that they can get one that I think they could get past pretty quickly and one that I think would take some work, but both of them I think would, would create great value for the players and that I think the schools would be okay with. And, and the one that it kind of overarching for me is the name, image, and likeness thing, which we already know if you've been following college sports for the last year or so, you know it's coming. You know that the rules are going to change. The NCAA has admitted the rules are going to change. The schools have admitted the rules are going to change. Players are going to be allowed to make money off outside deals. And this is, you know, there's no Title IX effect to this because the money's not coming from the schools. But the question is, how restrictive will the rules be? The, the NCA and the schools would like to have a little more restrictive rules. They're pushing for a, a federal law right now that would make it where you couldn't use, you know, you couldn't make these deals with recruits. You couldn't make the deal until the players played a semester in college. But the state laws that have already been passed in Florida and, and California and Colorado are much more permissive. If I were the players, I'd say, listen, we'll come right back right now if you say, we're going to make new NCAA rules that are as permissive as the most permissive state NIL law. Done. And you guys start cashing in tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think of all of the, the demands on this list, I think NIL is a, is, is a very important component of this whole thing. And I think kind of, this sounds weird to say, an underrated part of this whole thing is the, the racial injustice that a lot of these you know, young student athletes of color are, are, are pushing forward and rightfully so. I think starting with NIL, I'm, I'm with you. I think that would be a, a, a massive negotiating point on their, on their behalf. And frankly, I think if you look at just the Pac-12 as an example, there are so many, there are so many schools that are located in areas where some of these student athletes over the years have, should have been able to have made money to better their livelihoods. I mean, people come to Salt Lake city and become football stars. I mean, there's no reason why Zach Moss who left Utah is like the best, one of the best players ever wasn't able to capitalize on that. Or even hell, if you're going, if you're going to go play in Pullman, Washington for four years, like why can't you 
be able to incentivize yourself to, to make some money right. based, based on... Why, I mean, why I, couldn't I, Gardner Minshew sell mustaches that year? Yeah, I mean, exactly. what, what was wrong? What would be wrong with that? No, but it, that's the thing. And the, and the thing is, the schools have already stipulated to this. They've already agreed it's going to come in some form or fashion. So all you have to do at this point, if you're the players, is push it over the goal line to get the best deal you can there. Because you don't want what the what the NCAA and what the conferences have fed to Congress as the rule. You want that to not pass. Now, there's a chance that may not pass anyway, because it'll probably pass the Senate, but it's going to meet with bipartisan resistance in the House. So it, there's a chance that may not pass. The schools may be like, listen, this isn't going to pass. We're not positive this is going to pass anyway. So let's just stop fighting, stop wasting money on lobbyists, and just give them this, and then maybe that'll be enough. And to be honest, it might be enough. Now, the the racial injustice piece of it, I looked at their demands on this. I don't think they're going to meet much resistance. Yeah, I don't from the either. schools with those. I think the schools the schools are going to be down for that. They want to they want a task force. Well, people in academia love to make task forces. They they want a, a summit. People in academia love summits. You know that they, they don't they don't want their freedom of expression blocked by the team or by rules. In the athletic department, I think there's a few places still that that are going to have to work on that. But I think if you look at what happened at Iowa, I mean, that blew up in Iowa's face. I think you are asking for a player mutiny or to get yourself fired if you don't let players express themselves freely right now. Yeah, totally. I mean, I we, we were dealing with something like that um, out here in Salt Lake. At Utah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think more than anything, Andy, this is going to be a haymaker to kind of the the fallacy of what the NCAA pre- presents itself to be. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. This is a long time coming on so many different fronts. And frankly, I mean, you know this, you've been beating this drum for a long time. This is way overdue. And I think this is a massive step in the right direction, especially considering all that these, these student athletes are facing right now. I mean, I think... At the end of the day, we all need to realize that no matter how much they love football and how badly they want to play, I don't know how many of us would be willing to suit up and go, you know, scream and and push and, you know, exchange uh, aerosols with somebody that we don't know where they've been for four straight hours. I think that's a huge component of this as well is at the end of the day, we're asking the youth of America to put itself in harm's way. And I think we have to figure out a, is it safe enough to do that this fall? Probably not. And B, how do we try to make it as safe as possible without, you know, something really bad happening? Because it just seems like 2020 is the year of very, very bad. And I'm hoping that, you know, that ends sooner than later. Well, and the thing is, in the pro leagues, they can say, well, we're giving you your, your salary in exchange oh, yeah. for this. and. You could say that with the, with the colleges, they are getting a scholarship in exchange for this. But the problem is the schools themselves and the NCAA have gone to court and argued that the scholarship is not payment. We all know it is, but since they're saying it's not, they now can't turn around and act like it is. So you're probably going to have to give a little more. And my thing on this is players don't need to have a union they don't have to unionize. They don't have to have collective bargaining for them to be able to have a voice. And I get that how scary it would be. I've been in their shoes at 18, 19 years old. Every, you know, everybody on campus has so much power compared to you or so you think. And it's scary. 
I, I think these players are starting to understand, though, that they do have leverage, that they do that the schools need them. Um, you know, I, everybody says, oh, next man up, next man. OK, where are you going to find the next men if half a, a college football team isn't playing? Because I've been there. OK, I've been the walk on who was a pretty good high school player who got on the Power Five team and realized, oh, my God, these guys are incredible. Like, you don't want to see a bunch of me running around playing football, and you won't watch it. And your team will get killed if you have too many of them. So that, that's the part that I think that you, you got to understand. They worked really hard to get these players. You know, there's a reason there's two networks of websites set up to, to cover and rank how effectively they acquire these players. So <laughs> they don't want you and me, Chris. They want right. the guys they signed. And so they got to do something to make sure that those guys are, are happy. And I, I think they should talk to them. I, I, you know, I, I know that the leagues have had this, these student athlete advisory committees all along, but they, they really need to give them more of an active voice and the players need to be more comfortable speaking in that active voice. And, and listen, I think one thing the last couple of years has taught us is the whole thing doesn't fall apart. If the players have a voice, it can still go on. It can still be a fun sport to watch. And it doesn't really change anything for those of us watching, but it does change a lot for the players playing and for the, the coaches working within the system. If the players have a voice. Yeah. And, and it will expose a lot of kind of archaic unwritten rules around the sport, which I think is totally fine. I mean, you could make an argument that five to 10 years ago, players weren't able to be as outspoken as they were as they are now. But then I think about like, I didn't even know until our colleague Scott Dockerman wrote about it this summer that like you needed approval to even like post a tweet by like the Iowa football program. If you're a player at Iowa. So I just think that these are so many little things that just need to be overturned and just, I hate the phrase, like, the power needs to be given to the people, man, but it does, like, because to your point, like, these players matter, and I think that there's a huge part of this, Andy, is that these players just want to be known as more than just your Saturday entertainment. And frankly, that speaks to a, a larger, deeper discussion um, that our country faces, but it, this is definitely part of it, and you're seeing what guys like um, you know, Kylan Hill at, at Mississippi State was able to do earlier this year by just being outspoken and being unafraid and standing for something. You're you're seeing student athletes having more of a voice now than ever. But I think one of the last humps that we need to get over is some people. And you all you have to do is is look into the mentions of these student athletes that are supporting this new initiative through the Pac-12. There are people that view these young men as just their Saturday entertainment. And that's really disappointing. And that sucks. We have a new sponsor called Artifact. And this is a really, really cool idea. Basically, you can make your own personalized podcast episodes about whatever you want. Give them to friends, to family. I would give any amount of money, any amount of money, to have my mom talking about her life so that my kids could listen to it. She passed away before they were born, and I've told them all about her, but I would love to hear her voice talking about her life. You can do something like that with Artifact Now. You don't even think about it right now, but it's one of those things that you will cherish and love. All you have to do 
do what I did. You go to heyartifact.com and tell them a few basic things about what you want the artifact to be about and invite folks for interviews. It was really easy. It took a few minutes. I'll be sharing my personal episode with you when it's ready, but for now, you can go to heyartifact.com and hear some samples. There's a ton of ways to use Artifact to capture stories with your friends and family. And when you're ready to make an artifact of your own, use the code ANDY to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com and use the code ANDY for $40 off. It's a great idea. There's so many different ways to use this. Family histories. I don't know. Maybe you you are going to propose to somebody and you're going to do the story of how you met and you're going to talk to, to their parents and interview them and your friends and interview them. And at the end, you pop the question on Artifact. Who wouldn't want that? That is the ultimate keepsake. Go to heyartifact.com, code Andy, and give it a try. Yeah, my thing on this is, like, the schools do not have to give in to every single demand. And that's the part that I think when, when you get these arguments on Twitter, everybody, everything's just got to be poll A or poll B. It's not polar. It is a continuum. This is a negotiation. The schools are not going to suddenly turn all the power over to a bunch of 19-year-olds. That's fine. It's their no schools. Anarchy. They can do what they want. Yeah, exactly. But if they listen to them a little more, if they let them make a little more money, it's not going to hurt anybody. And so that, that's the part I don't get is what is it about a person who says, well, I'm not going to enjoy this sport as much if this person makes some more money playing it? That doesn't yeah. really compute with me. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that I can think of is that maybe they, I mean, I think there's maybe a, a jealousy factor of if they were former, you know, players back in the day, maybe they felt like I didn't have that same opportunity. I could definitely see that being a part of the, the, the whole Those guys system. I'm willing to give a pass to because they never, you know, they didn't get to enjoy it. But the ones who never played, I don't give a pass to. And most of them are just saying, well, if it were me, I'd saw off my left arm to play for Old State U. No, if it were you, you'd run away crying after the first heavy squat day during off-season workouts. That's the difference between the players and you. So the, that's, that's the, the, the thing there. And my thing is, like, I don't have a problem with the coaches or, or everybody else making money. I want everybody to make as much money as humanly possible. This is America. That's what you're supposed to do. So why not open things up for the players with the NIL stuff? Now, I will say there was one other avenue that I thought they should push down because I think they might be able to get the schools to agree with it, and I just thought it was a good idea. And I actually didn't think the players went far enough with their demand on it. And that was they were asking for insurance coverage, health insurance coverage, for six years past the end of their eligibility to cover Sports-related injuries, injuries they, they got playing their sports. Now, there are already Power 5 schools that do that, that, that cover those injuries for a long time after you leave. But what I would say is don't stop there. Ask for health coverage for six years following your eligibility. Just ask for an insurance plan for each player and a good one, like a, you know, a nice Blue Cross PPO. And it's, it's expensive, like, if you're a Power 5 school, you're talking about probably between 5 and $8 million a year to pay for that. But it probably wouldn't be every player using it because some players would 
would get employed by companies that offer a little bit better package and they'll go with that. Or some players will have families and they'll want to get the family plan and, and because it's more cost effective for them. So it wouldn't be everybody, but that would be a life changing thing for a lot of people because, you know, for, for those people that are young, you know, a lot of people are young and they, they don't necessarily care if they have health insurance until they get sick. And all of a sudden they're, they're sitting there with a ton of debt and it's hard to get out of, or little simpler, not, not nearly as, as big of a deal, but a, a big deal in your life, you limit your, your employment options to companies that are going to pay for your insurance or, or pay for part of your insurance. If you already had insurance, that opens up your employment options early on in your career so that you can kind of work your way up. And then by the time the six years runs out, you're probably in a job that is giving you full benefits. So I think that would be huge if they could get something like that. And that's something that I think if they're talking to athletic directors, if they're talking to coaches, uh, to conference commissioners, that's something I think those people would be willing to agree with them on and would try to find the money for. I really do. I feel like that's one of those things everybody could, could agree on. Yeah, I agree. And I think one thing that I, I think a lot of maybe casual fans or even diehard fans forget about is Every year, every football team will have a handful of players that have to medically retire because their bodies at 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 won't allow them to play football anymore. And I think, unfortunately, so often, to your point of the the next man up cliche, like people too often forget about kids that came to the school that had aspirations of being a starter and maybe you know, who knows, maybe making it to the league or whatever, but sometimes your, your body doesn't cooperate. And things like those types of injuries, they don't just go away, man. Like, you don't, like, recover no, they, from those types they, of injuries. And they also don't necessarily months. show up. Yeah, yeah, they also don't necessarily show up when you're 22. Sometimes they show up when you're when you're 25 or 26. So, yeah, th- this would be one of those things I think everybody on both sides would get behind. Now, look, th- there's a real cost to that. It, it's a lot of money. So the schools would have to figure out how to pay for it. But that's one of those things I think everybody involved would be helping some people. Because that's one you could say, you know, it doesn't have to just be football players. You could do that for an entire athletic department. That, that's where I got the, the number, the, the dollar figure that I came up with was for an entire athletic department. But that's one of those I think that everybody would be on board with as long as they could figure out where to, where to come up with the money. And I think... They could, you know, that's, that's been one of the, the complaints is, you know, you don't have to build another football practice facility. You don't have, this is the sort of thing that can help you recruit too. Yeah. I also think one of the, another, um, underrated parts of the whole thing was six scholarship years. I think that, that was a, a really smart ask because that way you're not always paranoid that if you do get hurt that you, you know, are, are going to be at the mercy of some, you know, random NCAA advisory board, maybe granting you permission for a medical hardship year and that you can come back. I, th- I think with football, giving as much runway to these, these young student athletes as possible, as long as they want to be in school and be getting an education, like there's, there's no harm in it, to be honest with you. I, I think, I think the fact that we're so stringent right now on, on something like that is, is pretty interesting to me. And I know, I know there are, there are people will say like, yeah, but how many really classes are some of these kids taking? Are they doing the underwater basket weaving, blah, blah, blah. 
I don't really buy that. I don't really buy that, to be honest with you. I, I think if, if, I, if I think if, the guys if, that, yeah, the guys that want to be in school longer are probably not taking the basket yeah, reading. Exactly. Exactly. Like if, if they want to be a registered student, if they want to be a full-time student, and if, I mean, obviously we're talking not even students who are going to be grad students at this point, like what's the harm? I, I think it's weird that we're not already there. I think we're just married to these old school ideas of like four, four years of college and then you're done. Maybe five if you're lucky, you know, I well, just, I here, think here's is, the thing. This is part of the whole thing. They, they could find some allies on this one and I'll tell you who their allies would be. The coaches, the coaches have been asking for 20 years for five years to play five. So get with the coaches on this one. Yeah. They might help you push it through. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, the list is varying in, in levels of demand and importance. And I mean, I'm saying from my, from my opinion, I think there are some that are absolutely doable and necessary. And others are, are a little far-fetched. And again, negotiations are negotiations. This is the business we've chosen, you know? <laughs> it's, it's exactly right. I, I think about the first house I bought. I, I knew they weren't going to say yes to the first offer I made, but I wasn't planning on paying that. <laughs> it would have been nice if they'd taken yeah. it, but they didn't. And <laughs> I ended up paying about what I thought I would. And I think that's probably what happens here is uh, there's, there's a little more voice for the players you know the the schools have revealed how much they need the players, and I don't blame the players for trying to take advantage of that. No, I mean if again the you, the the unpaid labor argument holds weight and it, and it holds water, and I know that there is a subset of people that are so adamantly against it. But man, like this is just a long time coming, and I think um, hopefully the optimistic side of my brain says hopefully those people who are screaming into the ether get left behind and eventually just get to scream back and forth at one another, and it just bounces off back and forth forever. But ho- hopefully we'll get there sooner than later. Well, I, I think you know from dealing with a lot of these people that those people don't really work in college sports the people right. who yell about that the the people who actually work in college sports who are the, the people that some of the those on the other side complain about who say they're exploiting the athletes a lot of them would like to give the athletes a better deal too so i think we're going to find out who some of those people are in the next few years too so chris Kamrani, thank you so much for joining us it is this has been quite a uh, quite a weekend in the pack it's, it's been a great sunday well I was just going to be asking you about, you know, who was going to take advantage of the 10 game schedule and, you know, who, who is, who got the harder draw after they added a conference game, but no, no, we actually had meat to talk about. Yeah. You, you, you got a, you got a few days to, to, to dissect who, who got the, the short end of the stick and, and who, who maybe uh, will be able to take advantage of, of the new 10 day, 10 game schedule in the pac 12. Okay, so next time we'll figure out if they play, who's going to play Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. All right, but I'm in. We'll have to save that for later. Chris, okay. thank you so much. Thanks, Andy.